All right, they're letting the kids play up in Cleveland, and their kids are going back to school soon. You can tell it's getting down to the end of the stretch, and the baseball season here is uh, it's like a month left in the minor league season, and there's 40-something games to go in Cleveland. So it's definitely the home stretch of the baseball season in the majors and in the minors. Uh, I'm Justin Ladd. This is Guardians of the Future podcast, joined by John Elrod this week, who one of those guys who's going back to school here soon. So your, your summer's wrapping up, John. Uh, I covered a ton of Akron games for us this summer, did a great job. So i um, excited to have you on here again before you head back. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be back on. Glad to get this in. Yeah, we had a good chat last time you were on, uh, a little before the draft. I know it's been a little bit and things have been kind of crazy, but um, interesting things going on in Akron. We'll, we'll kind of dive right in. The first probably biggest piece of news is that uh, Xavier Curry is going to make his major league debut tonight. He'll be the 15th major league. Is it the 14th or 15th? I have to go back and look. I think it's 14. He'll be yeah, the 14th uh, major league. Yeah. I want to say debut. 14. Yeah. Yeah. I think Peyton Battenfield would have been 14 had he gotten a game, but he did not. So um, yeah. 14 tonight for, for Xavier Curry. He is trying to think the third, see the third player. Now he was the second player this year who started the season in Akron to make it to Cleveland. It was Gaddis and Curry. Is right. there somebody else I'm missing? I think it's just Gaddis and Curry. Okay. Yeah. So the two of them um, made their debuts or were in Akron last year, made the debuts this year. Gaddis, obviously kind of a tough start against the Astros. That was a, a tall task for him. He was good through two, kind of fell apart in the third. Um, John, what, do you, what are your thoughts on Xavier Curry making his major league debut tonight? I mean, he was, this is a guy who, was drafted in 2019 out of Georgia Tech, didn't pitch in 2019, obviously didn't pitch in 2020 because of the pandemic. Started in low A Lynchburg last year, got all the way up to Akron for the playoffs last season. Started at Akron this year, got to Columbus, made like a handful of starts at Columbus, and now uh, he's going to make his major league debut tonight. So what are, you, what are your thoughts on Curry from what you saw this year? Right. I mean, I would say I'm a little surprised thinking back or thinking back to the first couple of times I saw him in Akron this year. And I know I was critical of, you know, his ability to work out of trouble and things like that. And the first two times I saw him this year. And then I think after that, I, I can't remember if I saw him pitch once or twice, but I saw him have a piggyback appearance sometime around June, probably just a few weeks before he got called up um, to Columbus. And he looked a lot better um, locating his curveball and stuff like that. Um, so I think the, you know, if, if my main criticism was him not being able to work out of trouble, that's a guy that's played just two years of professional ball. Um, and I think that's pretty normal for somebody that age with that amount of experience. So it'll be interesting to see how he does tonight. Yeah. A guy who was also a two-way player in high school. He was not a full-time pitcher until he got to Georgia tech. Like you said, obviously his draft year, he didn't pitch for Cleveland or in the, in the minors at all. And then, um, Nobody could pitch a 2020 long way for a guy to go. I mean, seriously to go from, from low a as a starting pitcher, like it's one thing if you're a reliever, I feel like to, to start way down in the minors and then make your debut because relievers move a lot faster. But when you're a starter, if you're able to move from, from low a to the majors, the next season, obviously there's a lot of different circumstances. You know, he had to be on the 40 this winter anyway, or he might, you know, be selecting the rule five draft, but to go from low a as a starting pitcher to the majors, 
uh, in less than a full season. I feel like that's that's less than full two seasons. That's pretty impressive. I mean, not a lot of guys do that. I think you have to have some special characteristics. Like you said, definitely he's going to have to learn to work out of jams or figure that out. But, um, you know, you really have to be, I don't want to say a finished product, but you have to have some serious serious stuff and some serious quality characteristics to make it that far that fast. Yeah, absolutely. I think we'll see good stuff from him. I mean, the, the, the fastball's there, the curveball's there, the slider has been better this year. I think he's relied on the slider a lot in Columbus, uh, more so than the curveball. I, I think the curveball's the second best pitch. Do you agree yeah. that the slider's a little bit better? Yeah, yeah I would say in the, the times of Salmon Acker, the curveball was definitely his second pitch. Um, I haven't gotten a chance to watch that much outside of just a few highlights on Twitter um, since he's been in. Yeah. yeah, the last start for sure, he took a no-hitter in the sixth inning, and he definitely was relying on the slider more. I thought that was interesting, but I, I do like the curveball. My concern, too, with him is, is I don't I don't know, we'll see. He, he seems like a pretty calm character. I don't think he, he gets too rattled, so I think he'll be good considering and handling – now, the emotions of your first call up and the and the energy and all that stuff. I mean, I'm sure he'll have a little bit of adrenaline going. I mean, I think you'll see him, you know, miss the strike zone a little bit like Gaddis did. You know, you, a lot of guys tend to miss the zone and, and walk guys their first game out. We'll see how he handles that. But um, that's a guy I think will be able to handle that, that pressure and that adrenaline for his first start. Um, I think for him, it's going to be, I guess we'll see, because the Guardians just wrapped up a four to one win in the day game. Um I think the changeup is going to be a big deal for Curry too. I think the changeup was the one pitch that I think still needed some work for him. And that would help him work out of jams, especially against lefties. We'll see how many lefties the Tigers put in their second game lineup. But um, the changeup was probably one pitch where I think that he's really going to need in order to turn the lineup over. So I'm guessing he'll see a five and fly. They'll hope to get five innings from him and we'll go from there. But um, definitely controlling the emotions and, and locating and, like you said, staying out of trouble and working out of trouble. I think the change will be key for him tonight, but it'll be a lot of fun. I, I, you know, Curry's a good kid. He's very mature, very well-spoken and um, a lot of friends on the team, very personable. I, I'm really excited to see him make his debut. I think he's a good kid and um, it will fit in very well at this class of rookies that they continue to add to the team. Yeah. Uh, what were your thoughts on Gaddis's debut since I didn't get a chance to talk to you since you saw him early in the season? And now obviously you saw firsthand the changes he made this year with uh, the velocity ticking up and just how much better he looked. What was your thoughts on Gaddis getting the call in and how he did in his debut? Yeah. So um, obviously I was, I was pretty excited to see, um, you know, him get the call up because he was one of the first professional athletes I ever interviewed. Um, I talked to him after like covering the home opener in Akron. Um, but unfortunately, I didn't I didn't watch his uh, start live because I was actually visiting family and I was at a Minnesota Twins uh, Toronto Blue Jays game in Minneapolis. But, um, you know, I, I saw some of this stuff. Um, it seemed like his, his changeup was working well um, initially, and then he ran into some trouble with a great Astros lineup as well. Um, yeah, I, I think he's made like some pretty big jumps this year and he's probably not major league ready at the moment. But I definitely think the uptick in Velo being able to throw 97 and throw 97 late into the game, um, which I saw him do once or twice, you know, it's it's going to play well for him. Yeah, the uptick. So I thought he was good in in the first two innings. The curve, the command just kind of eluded him in the in the in the third inning, and 
you know, he is prone to giving up home runs. We've seen that a little bit as well, but um, I think he should get another shot. Definitely not totally ready. I mean, Curry had more starts AAA than he did. So I think that was just more of a, they needed someone there and then they could have gone with Connor Pilkington, but they decided to go with Gaddis and at least they got to look for both of them because they really need to see what these guys can do. And Gaddis, another one who was at high A last year and made it to the majors a year later. I mean, this guy had basically one and a half full years of pitching. He pitched a half year in 2019 and then a full year in 2021 and then half year this year until he made his major league debut. So, not a lot of seasoning for these guys before they're making a major league debut, which um, I don't know if that's really necessarily out of necessity or, or what, but um, some of it is, but it's still, it's still fun to see. And hopefully Curry is a little bit better than Gaddis tonight in his debut. Um, Johnny surprised it took so long for George Valera to get the bump to triple a. I know we thought it was going to happen pretty close to being after the uh, futures game with the all-star break, but um, I don't think Cleveland plan and Oscar Mercado clearing waivers for the second time. And um, they, they took, took them promoting Will Benson to, to the major leagues and, and cutting ties with Alex call to, to get him up there. So are you surprised with how long it took him to get there? And, then um, how do you think he kind of handled things towards the end when he probably knew that he, you know, should have been up a level? Well, yeah, I mean, I was pretty surprised it took that long. Um, you know, I, I thought he was about triple a ready, probably even towards the beginning of July. Um, and he actually, you know, he was he was scorching hot for most of the month of May and then most of the month of June. And he was actually having some some troubles around the All-Star break, the series before and after that. Um, and I talked to him after one game where he was, I think he had two or three hits um, and they were all base hits too. And I wanted to just, you know, ask him about, um, you know, the different kind of approaches that he needs to take because he can't hit a home run every single at bat. Um, you know, and he seemed like pretty locked in on, on just trying to, you know, put the ball in play and stuff like that. And, you know, understand that is a long process. I mean, I can't really speak to, uh, you know, any frustrations that he had because, you know, he's, he's not going to go and, and talk about like, oh, I need to be in triple A, but, um, you know, he was saying the right things and, you know, I think it was well-deserved call up. Yeah, it was definitely about time. They just needed to clear the space for him and, um, you know, he started to hit the ball a little bit better as things kind of heated up and he's still kind of settling in All right, towards the end here. He's still kind of settling in at the triple A level. So good season, Herman Akron. He ended up uh, playing there a lot longer than I thought he would have. Like we said, uh, was there for the second half of last year. He was probably in, in Lake County a little bit longer than I thought he was going to be last year as well. Then he just went through a stretch where he just kept getting walked and walked by pitchers and Finally, it was just pointless because they weren't pitching to him. They had to move him up. And so he ends up playing um, about 113 games in triple A or double A, I should say. So that's, you know, close to a full season's worth. Pretty good uh, 487 plate appearances. So I'd say it's a pretty good seasoning for him. And um, it's a total of 18 home runs in his two years with Akron. Um, three steals ran a little bit less there, but was part of that championship team last year. So. But still think he is going to need to cut down on the strikeouts, whether that's, you know, being more selective at the plate or um, maybe being a little bit less patient too and being attacking. We'll see, because I'm sure hitters in AAA will continue to attack him as well. Um, not sure how much you'll get to see of him, but Jonathan Rodriguez uh, is going to take George Valera's place in Akron. Uh, he just had an insane home run binge in Lake County. He, 
hit four home runs in this last series against Fort Wayne. He had 21 on the year overall. He had six on this last 12-game homestand for the Lake County Captains. Uh, leads the Guardians organization slugging now at 573. Um, has kind of, I guess he's gotten more aggressive at the plate. I'd have to look to see how the numbers flesh out because it wasn't like he had a good first half. He's had a much better second half, but the walk rate is down. One of one of Rodriguez's calling cards uh, early in his career has been how well he's worked counts and then um, laid off pitches out of the zone. And this year, you know, he's hitting a ton better than he ever has. So maybe he's just getting to more pitches, um, but the walk rate's down a little bit. And it, it seems like uh, the strikeout rate's a little bit up too. So it seems like he's really selling off for power. He is hitting 292. So I guess, you know, the average is still there, but when you're hitting, Six home runs in 12 games. Uh, of course, your batting average is going to go up. That's pretty impressive. So um, he should he should take over Valera's spot nicely. I'm sure there'll be an adjustment period. But I was going to you know ask you here. I was like, who do you think should should replace Valera? Because um, without him and Akron, that lineup I saw on Saturday was Micah Pree's got some time in the outfield, which you know like, I think they'll do more of. But it was you know Chris Roller and Julian Escobedo and. John Kenzie Noel, and I'm like, that that outfield seems like it needs another bat. That wasn't quite enough. So, um, yeah, what, what, what do you think? I know you haven't seen Rodriguez play, but um, it, I'm assuming it sounds like he'll fit in just fine and certainly better than having to play uh, Roller and um, Escobedo and Noel by themselves each night. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, a pretty good replacement for Valera there. Um, yeah, 21 home runs in high A should translate to still some home runs in, in double A, 919 OPS. Um, yeah, like you said, the the current outfield, you know, I, I think Chris Roller, Julian Escobedo, they're, they're good defensively, and that's why they're there. Um, you know, they play the game right. They play smart, but, um, you know, not really providing much of a bat, especially not powerful. So... I think Rodriguez is a, a pretty good candidate to replace Valera there. Yeah, it should be a nice rotation and to get Mike Capriz a little bit more time in the outfield as well because he's played mostly first base there. Um, he was an outfielder by trade coming into uh, this year. He's mostly played first base. Which I would say outside of a couple of games, he really hasn't played more than first base. So maybe we'll see him get more time in the outfield um, with some spots opening up. Uh, now that we're on the topic of Mike Capriz, another great week for him. Obviously had that fantastic stretch in June where uh, he had a f- four homers in four straight games. Other guys had home run binges this year. He was a uh, two-time player of the week, and then he was a the player of the month for the month of June. Uh, you and I both recently talked to Mike Capriz, ironically, uh, for, for different reasons. Um, but Capriz had uh, two walk-off hits in two days last week in Akron. That's impressive on its own. Um, but you talked to Mike Capriz a little bit this week, and I know you got a feature coming up. I just kind of wrote one too, but, um, you know, want to give a preview of, of kind of what you learned through talking to him. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a incredibly interesting interview. Um, you know, you don't always know how interesting a guy's story is going to be. Um, and sometimes you can have like preconceptions about, you know, where a guy comes from and, and, you know, the surface level, like baseball reference information and think like, Oh, this, this guy can't be that interesting, but, um, Mike Capriz is definitely, definitely, that's not the case. Um, you know, huge baseball family. And um, his dad was a first rounder um, for the Yankees. Um, his grandfather was a professional player and then 
a pretty uh, notable scout for the Orioles. Um, but Micah himself was pretty overlooked um, in high school. He went D2. And he talked about how he didn't know that he was going to be a professional baseball player, even partway through his college career. Um, so I just think it's, it's really interesting because so many of these guys, you talk to them and they've known that they were special from a really young age, you know, like scouts are coming up to them at age 13 and it just wasn't the case. Um, so it's, it's really interesting to see Prees have a breakout year like that. Yeah. I would say it's, it's a huge takeaway that this is a guy who, like you said, didn't get a ton of recruiting looks out of high school. And he had said he, you know, di didn't, wasn't a big kid. He didn't really lift a lot of weights and he was kind of uh, lanky and, gangly i mean this is a, he was already six four but he wasn't getting filled out um physically yet so he wasn't getting a ton of recruiting looks i think it's interesting that he didn't based on his name alone because you mentioned his grandfather and his dad and his brother um you know those they all all had playing careers and both his dad and brother played at ucla so um you would think that maybe he would get some looks just based off that but he did not um and obviously he didn't hit for a ton of power in college and he he was a center fielder and at a D2 school. He, I know he said to me too that he had to. He came in and and played center field his freshman year. Took a job away from a senior right away. So he knew he had to, you know, work hard and, and show that he deserved that, and he did. And then he has Tommy John surgery. Doesn't play in 2019. Uh, doesn't play in 2020. Obviously, as we talked about. And then, you know, last year he starts at low A. Uh, has another hamstring injury down there. So he got up to double A by the end of the season. So this is a guy who I think despite his age, you know, he's 24 years old and I think there's some swing and miss issues. And I think that he, you know, come from a small college and the time missed, I think he's still got some catching up to do in terms of facing live pitching and just making adjustments. But I don't know. I, I know people might look at his age and look at the strikeouts and think this is just a good minor league baseball player, but I don't know. I, I kind of think there's a late bloomer in there offensively considering what he's been through. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, pegging him as a guy who's 24 in double A, um, you know, doesn't tell the full the full story because it's his second year playing, you know, full time pro ball. Um, so, yeah, he's not going to probably grow much bigger, um, you know, because sometimes that's the, the thing with younger players is like you hope a 19, 20 year old gains more muscle, whatever the case may be. So that's probably not going to be a factor for him. But as far as like facing live pitching and all that. I think there's a lot of room for him to improve because it's only his second year. Um, I don't think 2022 Micah Preez is, is going to be as good as it gets, despite, you know, that he's 24. Yeah, that's, that's a great, a great point. Definitely not a finished product by any means. Like you said, the age and the level he's at doesn't really paint the full picture of his background. And um, yeah, I really think that, there's more to come with him. I, I Like I said, the strikeouts probably will have to continue to be something he works on, but by virtue of coming from a small college and, and lacking, you know, for a guy who's in double a, he probably doesn't have the reps. Some of these pitchers do other, other guys do in double a, some of these guys that might be older or his age, you know, might've played at a bigger college. They might have been able to play in 2019. You know, they might've had a little bit more reps in him. So I think it, that's the other thing too. For what he's doing, he might be playing guys that are just a little more experienced and have done more than he has, and come from a better, you know, bigger competition background. For him to be doing what he's doing against that, and and still have time to catch up and 
kind of grow from there, I think says that there's, there's definitely more in the tank there for him. And the other thing I asked him about too, and you can attest to this because you've watched him this year more. Uh, he has 16 steals this year uh, for a guy who has, you know, been really a first base left field type player this year. Um, he's a good runner. I know you said he played center field in college, but he he's run the base as well this year. He's not just a, a power hitting corner type player. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in addition to those steals, um, seeing him leg out a couple of triples this year as well. Um, and it was one of my first times seeing him in the outfield since probably the beginning of the season on Friday. Um, he played left field while John Kenzie Noel played first. And he had a really good diving catch um, where he covered a lot of ground to get there. Uh, so yeah, he, he can definitely run. Yeah, he's definitely better. I asked him that too. And I said, do you think that maybe people underestimate your, your speed because, you know, they see this six foot four, you know, he's grown into his body more, but he's mostly a first baseman. I guess they don't expect him to run. He said, it does, it does feel like maybe people don't realize he's a, he's a, a pretty good runner and that that's helped him out a lot this year. So definitely not a, a one dimensional player um, by any means. I, I'm really curious to see what happens to him. I know you pay attention to it some, you know, he is a, uh, a guy who's going to be rule five eligible this winter for the first time. I, I don't know if they have room to keep him, but um, he's at least made a name for himself this year. I would say, I mean, everybody, the funny thing is everybody in minor league baseball is going to know who he is, right? It's not like he's uh, an unknown in baseball circles. People know who his father is. People know who his grandfather is. So it's not like, you know, he's just this completely unknown kid, but, He's just starting to kind of make a name for himself as, as a prospect for this year. And I kind of wonder how that plays out for him in the rule five draft this year. Yeah, that is an interesting point. Um, you know, I was looking at the rule five, the most recent one that happened, because obviously it didn't happen last year, but it, I, I just thought it was interesting. Like the number of guys that didn't get selected by other teams um, that Cleveland was able to keep, um, and some of the time you just think like, okay, these, these guys don't know about them. And, you know, maybe Pre's having that name recognition is going to have people jump on him more. It's hard to say, but. Yeah. I don't know if that will necessarily be the case, but I, I just find it hard to believe that they're going to have room to protect him. And I don't know if somebody else will jump on him either, because like you said, I think other teams might think the way we do where um, they, they see more to come with him and, they see a guy that is is playing very well against advanced competition, despite the lack of reps, and um, might have more in the tank there. So I wonder if that's going to make him more popular in the Rule Five drafts. I don't, I just don't know if if uh, if Cleveland can afford to protect him. I know he's played well and he might deserve it, but another organization, and he's aware of this too. He's aware of how how deep the organization is. I asked him about. It, and he goes, you know, I try not to think about that, but you know, he's aware that there's a lot of talent in this organization and. He's seen him up close in Akron this year, especially. So, um, you know, just keep playing. I think he's going to get a shot regardless at some point, whether it's here or somewhere else. But um, it's going to be tough. I just don't know for sure if, if they're going to have room. Um, over the weekend, I was there on Saturday night, and I watched uh, Rokio play pretty well. Tana played pretty well. I know they both had a, a part in the comebacks over this week. Uh, Rokio had a uh, sack fly to tie the game. He had another hit to, to tie the game. Did a good job getting on base. He had a homer this week as well. Uh, same with Tana. I will say, though, um, Rokio made two errors this week, and one of them 
caused Akron to go to extra innings in the first game of the doubleheader on Saturday when they were up one nothing after Bybee pitched six good innings. What have you thought of his defense this year? I know it, you know he's made a lot of great defensive plays, uh, some highlight reel plays, but um, do you think there's anything to his defense where maybe there's been some inconsistencies or just maybe just a bad week for him? Yeah, I'd agree. There's there's been some inconsistencies, um, but it's more along the lines of he's trying to do too much, as opposed to like he can't make plays that you should. So it's cases where, you know, he makes a diving stop, but the the guy who's running to first is fast. He's going to beat it out. He still decides to chuck it. You know, goes into the dugout. Things like that. Um, that might like give the guy an extra base, and and that's why it's ruled an error. Um, but I don't see a lot of like, he, you know, I don't I don't know what error you're talking about that happened on Saturday. Um, but I saw one on Friday where it was kind of that situation of, you know, he made a, a really good play to get to the ball and then just like launched it into the netting. Um, so it's, it's things like that where he's trying to too hard to make the highlight plays. Hmm. Yeah, I could definitely see that Saturday. The one I, I saw and maybe they didn't end up ruling an error. I certainly certainly should have been. I think it was. Uh, the ball just kind of got under his glove. He was playing second, and it should have been a routine play. And I think the ball just kind of got under his glove. He didn't have it all the way down there. Maybe it was just a momentary lapse or something, and I'd have to check back. Maybe they ended up not ruling an error. They changed it. But that one yeah. didn't seem like he needed to make a highlight real play on it. just was a you know an unfortunate timed error. But he did another home run this week. I mean, it seems like offensively, I know you said to me a couple days ago or maybe a couple weeks ago, you said, I feel like I've been – pushing a lot of Ryan Rocchio propaganda lately, but the guy's been hitting the last month a ton. Yeah, absolutely. He's been on fire since I think it was around June 15th. So, you know, put that at two months now. Um, and he's doing it with power too. I think it's 10 home runs um, around in that sim- same time span. Um, yeah. He, he's just looked really solid. Um, he looks really confident. And he's done it in late innings too. He was a part of the um, the comeback win yesterday. Obviously, I think he had to go ahead sack fly. Um, and on Friday, he had a two strike, two out RBI to extend the game to give Prees the chance to walk it off. So yeah, he, he's just looked really good. Yeah, the offense has definitely been coming around for him this year. And I think defensively, like you said, just, you know, he has made a lot of highlight plays, maybe sometimes t- too much, but um, overall defensively has been pretty good for the most part this year. Another guy who really struggled when I was there Saturday was John Kenzie Noel. And uh, there was one, one at bat. I know he worked a seven pitch walk in game one. And then after that, he was kind of non existent offensively. And there's this one at bat where, I think he saw four sliders and he swung and missed at the first one, took the second one for a ball, fouled the third one off uh, behind home play out of play in the fourth one. He swung and missed. I think he took or, or swung and missed that either way. It was like four straight breaking balls um, that he sw- that he missed on. And this is bad. He didn't even see a fastball. So um, what, what do you have your thoughts on Noel been lately? Cause it seems like the strikeout rate isn't any higher now than it was in Lake County. It's actually down. But it just seems like right now he's in a stretch where if he doesn't hit a home run, he's really not doing a ton offensively. And um, definitely I was concerned Saturday with with the, how he fared against breaking balls against Bowie, which, you know, doesn't have a ton of great pitching. 
Right. Yeah. I, I share those same concerns. Um, I saw him chase a lot of pitches. I can't remember. I covered Tuesday and Friday's game. I'm not sure which one it was, um, but he had a nice uh, two RBI single in the first, and then he proceeded to strike out the next three times and, you know, swinging at junk in the dirt and things like that. And like you said, his strikeout percentage is down, um, but there's been plenty of times where he swings at bad pitches and, you know, just gets a piece of it to, you know, tap it back to the pitcher and things like that. So, you know, his, I think his batting average on balls in play is like 186 or something like that, which indicates some poor luck. And I'm sure he has had some poor luck, but there's been a lot of times where he's making really weak contact. Um, and then it seems like the, the flip side of that is he's going 450 to dead center. Um, there hasn't been that much in between that I've seen. Yeah, that is the weird thing with his performance this year is that the strikeouts are still noticeable with the breaking stuff. And um, that, that two-run single you're talking about, do you happen to remember if it was a, a fastball? Was it a breaking pitch? Do you remember? Um, I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, I, I, he definitely did not get a lot of fastballs on Saturday when I was there. I watched uh, most of game one and some of game two, and I had to take off. But um, definitely was not getting a lot of fastballs when I was there. I think that's going to be a concern for him going forward. And like you said, um, I know Spencer Thomas, other Akron beat reporter, had asked Junior Batances about it, and then they said that um, they've been working with um, Noel on pitch selection. Which, as you just stated, sometimes he's making a little bit of contact on these on these pitches, just enough to avoid the strikeout, but not enough where it's it's doing damage. It's it's causing issues uh, where he's not putting the ball in play effectively. So pitch selection for sure continues to be an issue with him, but. I'm not surprised at all. I mean, look, he just turned 21 a month ago, and obviously the power is massive, and he's also young for the level, um, has a little bit more reps than some guys. I mean, he didn't play a ton last year because he had some injuries, but um, I, I, I mean, obviously the power potential is incredible. I just I just don't know. It's going to take a lot for him to, to work on the pitch selection. It's not always uh, the easiest thing to shore up. But at a power guy, I guess you're willing to wait. We'll just see if they can hang around and let him figure it out while he's on the 40-man roster. Um, other guys in the 40-man roster in Akron that have been picking things up lately, though, Brian Lavastida, uh, I noticed on Saturday he was hitting the ball well. He stole a base the, the other day this week. Um, I know he had struggled really badly in Columbus before the hamstring injury has come back to Akron to kind of quote-unquote rehab, even though he's – probably well past rehabbing at this point. He remains on Akron's roster, but um, do you feel like he started to pick things up recently? Cause it seems to me he's starting to look like the player I saw a year ago that was starting to break out offensively. Yeah. He's definitely looked better recently. Um, I kind of ripped into him in, in uh, one of my weekly notebooks when he had like a, like a one for 20 something run or something, you know, something pretty, pretty bad. Um, and it seems like a part of it is, you know, it's obviously hard to tell when you're just watching a guy like walk to and from the plate, but it seems like it, he's picked his head up a little bit. Um, seemed like he was kind of in a bad way to, to start his time, um, you know, whether we want to call it a rehab assignment or not. Um, but it, it looks like he's he's just gotten back into the um, good mindset to be able to do what he was doing last year, like you said. Yeah, the offense definitely since it's coming around, that's great to see because he was great last year and obviously made his major league debut this year for many reasons, but 
played well last year, was obviously ahead of Bo Naylor at one point last year, and he isn't this year. So probably tough for him to to have such a good 2021 and to have the injury this year and struggle after he made his major league debut. And he maybe wasn't quite ready, but he was there out of necessity, and um, he had played well last year enough to earn the chance. But um, I, I think it's probably been tough for him to know that he's kind of flipped again with Bo Naylor, and he's – uh, he knows Naylor's got to be in the 40-man roster. I know they've become good friends, but uh, they compete with each other at the same time. But I'm sure it's been tough for him to kind of, you know, it, it's a, it's definitely a doggy dog thing in the minors where these guys are all fighting for major league opportunities. And he was obviously very close. This he made it this year, and obviously he had a real good chance. The injury probably, you know, like I said, frustrated him and um, hasn't quite played as well as he did a year ago. So I would imagine that. That can always uh, wear on a player. Do you think now they've lost Valera, who was you know a more consistent offensive performer, even though he had some some ebbs and flows this year, and they're still trying to get Noel more consistent? But do you think that Akron? I guess we'll see how Rodriguez pans out, how he settles into Double A. That's a big adjustment. But do you think there's enough offense in that lineup to help them chase down a playoff spot in the second half? Well. I think there there is enough offense if the pitching can continue what they did against Bowie. Cause yeah, I, I gotta look at the because they, they weren't the, the ducks weren't scoring many runs in that game. They had a lot of close wins. Um but the, the major thing was the bullpen and that performance really surprised me. So if you're if you're not getting performances like that from the bullpen, then I don't think this offense has what it takes. But it's just hard to say with all these young guys and you know guys coming up from Lake County and all that. The rest, yeah, the roster has been in flux for sure. They did they did lose Manny Alvarez this week. They did cut him uh, just today, so he's uh, he's no longer in there. I thought I thought it was interesting that he did not uh, pitch on Saturday in that doubleheader and. They've had other guys in, you know, in and out of that bullpen. Whether it's been they, they got Aaron Pinto back because I think they were just down a couple guys and um, needed some arms. They got Jordan Jones who pitched on Saturday in the doubleheader. I think he's still in that bullpen. If I'm not mistaken, I don't know if they sent him back down or not. But yeah, it's definitely going to be tough with that bullpen. I mean, Kate Smith has had I feel like has had stretches where he looks good, and Kyle Marmon has been good at times. Thomas Ponticelli has bounced back and forth in the, between being a spot starter. I will say Carlos Vargas looked really, really good Saturday night. He didn't strike anybody out, but uh, I thought he threw his fastball for strikes really well, and, and the slider was getting guys to make weak ground out. So um, it seems like they're really – he's not starting. Like, he's not – I know he's piggyback summer. He's coming, on, coming behind some starters, but they have not stretched him out a lot. So it really seems like he has – mostly been a bullpen arm this year and, and he's been really good. I know he picked up his first save. Or I think he can have two saves now, but um, any thoughts on Carlos Vargas so far? Cause I thought for sure he looked really good Saturday. Yeah. I think his stuff is really good. Um, you know, I, I've seen a few of his performances and, and, you know, a couple of them were good. A couple of them were bad. And when he was bad, it was uh, things like control that were hurting him and coming back from Tommy John surgery. And, you know, you're throwing 99 reaching one Oh one. You know that's going to happen um 
But I do think it is interesting how they haven't tried to stretch him out as a starter, especially since Akron could use one about now. Um, but I think his his stuff really could make him a good bullpen arm um, with that, you know, triple digit fastball and and uh, slider that's about ninety. So yeah, I think he's he hasn't really missed a ton of bats this year. You know, you would think for a guy that throws ninety nine to one hundred one would would miss more bats and the, and the slider is good, but I know the fastball doesn't really miss a lot of bats. It's more a lot of weak ground balls and nobody hit the ball hard against him on Saturday from what I saw. So really more of a case where he's just really hard to square up against if he throws strikes. I know there, there are times where throwing strikes are an issue for him, which is to be expected because he's coming off Tommy John and hasn't pitched since 2019. But when he throws strikes, I feel like uh, even if they put the ball in play, they're not doing much with it. So yeah, um, do you, Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, it's an interesting thing you say about, um, you know, he's drawing a lot of weak contact. I was actually trying to get video of him down close to the field. Um, I think it was during his first home appearance um, back at the end of June. And I kept on getting frustrated because I was trying to get, uh, you know, a video of a strike three and things like that. And they were just like weak ground outs. You know, it doesn't make for great highlight videos, but, you know, it certainly gets the job done. So it was funny that you pointed that out. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely been the case. I mean, he, he didn't strike out a lot of guys either when he was at um, when he was pitching in 2019 because I never seen the stuff and I was like, wow, this seems like a guy that has swing and miss stuff. But um, yeah, I think it I think it has to do with the fact that his fastball doesn't necessarily um, miss bats the way because of the shape. I think it uh, ends up getting in on guys' hands and, and creates a lot of. Um, we contact that way, kind of like Manuel Classe has. He has that cutter where, um, you know, he misses like a, a, a he has a strikeout per inning. I think usually that's what he averages. Obviously, Vargas not the same, but I think you know people look at the cutter and it's it's been better this year. But the cutter induces a lot more weak contact versus um, strikeouts just because of the way the ball moves. And the same thing for Vargas, the ball moves arm side a lot, and that causes the ball to get in inside guys' hands when they're not missing but it's just getting in above their hands on the bat and, you know, they're kind of pounding into the ground. Did you get a chance to see Tanner Bybee in person this year? Or is, I feel like all his starts were on the road, to be honest. Yeah, no, I saw him pitch once and he took a perfect game into the fifth, I believe. And and I, I chatted with him after that game too. What what were your impressions of him? Cause I saw him Saturday and I didn't, I didn't stick around to talk to him, but I, I talked to him in Lake County, but um Wow, Saturday he was was just awesome again when I saw him in person. Yeah, I mean in the in the one start I saw he was incredibly good. Um, his control really stood out to me, and um, it seemed like his he was controlling the fastball so well he didn't really need the other pitches that much. And I think in that game he only had four strikeouts as well, um, but he was just painting that fastball, getting a lot of ground outs, um, a lot of infield pop ups, and things like that. So it it was just an incredibly efficient, you know, where he was he was in control the whole time. Yeah, there were a couple counts where he was behind on Saturday where he he was on the slider to get back into counts. I thought it was really impressive. He was, you know, down 2-0 with the slider for strikes, and then he threw the slider for strikes when he was ahead in the count. So he had a lot of confidence in that. Um, nobody really squared a ball, but I think he made to give one hard hit. So I'm I'm just so impressed that this is another guy who's super young who um, started the year in high A and then obviously 
uh, is now in double A, and I feel like he's going to be close to being ready next year. Uh, with, with how good the stuff is, and he locates everything. I, I feel like nobody ever hits the, puts the ball and play hard against him. He's just a tough guy to square up, and like I said, he controls everything and uh, seems like a smart guy. Seems like a smart pitcher, and he's he's a competitor too. He. I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, when he was thrown on Saturday, I could definitely hear him grunting. It seems like he's out there throwing pretty hard and, and um, definitely can see some, I don't know, frustration on his face or uh, from his voice when things don't go well, too. He is definitely a guy out there that uh, takes it seriously and, and gives 100% when he's on the mound. You can hear it. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, he, he's one of my favorite guys to watch this year. I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do in the future. Uh, Gavin Williams still in the midst of a, a very strange year, I feel like. He had a short start his last time out again. Um, I think there were some, what, bad defensive plays behind him that drove his pitch count up. Is that and that's ended up what happening? But he was, you know, he was still pretty good. He was on the mound, but I just feel like you know, he's had these weird things. He got... He got hit by a line drive in Lake County. Luckily, he was okay. And then there was a start in Akron where he got hit in the hip. The line drive came out. He's been okay. And then uh, he had the, the couple bad defensive plays behind him his last home start, and he was knocked out early because that drove his pitch count up. So um, any takeaways from him the last couple times you've seen him? Um, I think I've only seen him in person once. Um, and it was it was the day they could have clinched the first half. I kind of think of it as like oh, a – right. Like sort of, it was a Sunday. I think of it as like the the black Sunday of the Akron Rubber Duck season. <laughs> um, but it it was an incredibly hot, humid day. Um, there was thunderstorms later in the forecast, and he he was getting squeezed from the start. His control also wasn't great, and he ended up throwing thirty nine pitches. Um, you know, loading the bases. I'm not sure if he even. I think he. I think all it was was he faced five batters got two of them out and then three run base. And then like Randy LeBout or somebody came in and, and allowed one of the runs, but yeah, it, it was just like, he was throwing hard, throwing up to 99, just not controlling it well. And things just weren't really going his way. So he was pulled after, after just getting two outs in that game. Yeah. It's been a really strange year for him. Like I said, I feel like he's pitched pretty well, just, there's just some, some weird things that have happened with him this year where he's been knocked out of starts early and um, other things have happened. But uh, overall, I think the stuff has still been pretty good and dominant. We'll see what he can do the rest of the season. Another bummer, too. I don't know if anybody saw us on Twitter. I'll say it here. But um, <clears throat> Spencer asked uh, Ruggie Odor about um, Joey Cantillo, who came back. After a month away, I know we were we talked about this forever. Where where is Joey Cantillo? He didn't pitch for a month. Nobody could figure out what was going on, and they weren't saying anything. They told you it was supposed to be one start, and then it turned into a month. And they said it was just you know arm care, and and you know because only pitched like eleven innings the year before. Then he comes back his last start, and I thought he pitched pretty well. Was that a home start? Did you did you see that start? Was that that was at home, right? Yeah, yeah, that was at home. Um, and I talked to him after the game too, and he seemed he seemed really you know, in good spirits and, and motivated to, you know, get stretched out further and pitch more innings. Cause I think he just went three cause it was his first one back. And, and he was talking about like, you know, happy to see that his below was up to 94 where it's been. And um, he was also saying like, he hopes he can get up to 95, 96, 97, 
you know, during this this rest of the season. So it, it definitely didn't sound like something somebody dealing with an injury would say. So I, I'm still pretty confused about that because it's hard to imagine him missing a month and it's not injury related. He comes back for one start and now he's put on the IL. Yeah, I, I definitely um, was surprised, but I wonder if maybe it was just a case where he came in the next day and um, maybe something was sore. Or he was maybe, you know playing catch or doing something and something was sore. I'm not really sure, but shoulder injury is definitely not good. And, and Ruggie told Spencer that um, really no timetable. They said that they don't have, you know, anything where they can, they know he's going to be activated soon. So it, it's still very much up in the air. So very strange to hear that, especially because, you know, the, the line for his three innings was, was pretty good. I thought um, it seemed like he pitched like he didn't miss any time. I know he had to let the one walk, I think, but that's to be expected after a month off, but it seemed like he picked up right where he left off. Yeah. He definitely looked good in that start. Um, one of the, one of his big pitches this year, I think has been his curveball. Um, so that was something I was looking for that start and it was pretty good. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just unfortunate what's happened since then. Yeah. I hope he can come back the rest of the year. And I think that the problem is too, with his injury is that, um, that makes him more attractive in the rule five draft because teams can stash him too. So that definitely makes things a little bit more complicated. Um, you were also at Tanner Burns' last home start, correct? Yeah. Yeah, so he was – I know he had said he pitched pretty good early. It sounds like the, the wheels kind of fell out. So what have, what have your impressions been of Tanner Burns this year? He's also another guy who's been kind of on and off the I.L. Yeah, the the most recent start – so he, he had two runners on in each of the first two innings, and he didn't look that sharp and then followed it up with, with some big strikeouts. He picked off a guy at second as well. And that was something I had seen him do a couple times earlier in the season is work out of trouble really well. It seems like he's able to slow the game down to his pace, you know, even though there's the pitch clock and everything. But um, I've definitely seen him settle in and get strikeouts with guys on base. And then by this third inning of his last start, it just fell apart and he wasn't able to do that. Um, and they were hitting him pretty hard. Um, yeah, fastballs over the plate, things like that. Yeah, well, and I just feel like he just hasn't – he's had such a stop-and-start season. He's been on the I.L. twice, and um, maybe he was just inactive the other time. He was in I.L. He was he was in that. He was on the I.L., then he wasn't active at one point. So it just seems like he's had a stop-and-start season and um, hasn't quite been able to get a lot of momentum going back-to-back starts. We'll see if he can pick that up. Um, Mason Hickman's going to join – Jonathan Rodriguez in Akron. He's mostly been a reliever for Lake County for the last couple of weeks. Things have looked better for him. His fastball is still about, I don't know, 90, 92. It's, it was 80, 88, 90, 91 as a starter. So it's gotten a couple extra ticks in the bullpen. The curveball looks a little bit better because the curveball was, you know, 69 to 71 as a starter. Now it's more like 72, 73, which really helps because it's got big shape and it's, it's, um, it's a devastating curveball. So that's the guy out of the bullpen that might help Akron uh, down the stretch as well. He has pitched well lately, and he was due to get the double A. So I really don't know who's going to fill out the rest of that rotation. I mean, you got Bybee and Burns and Williams, and I guess you're going to have to roll with, um, I don't know, it looks like Thomas Ponticelli and, and 
what Jaime Arias and maybe Eli Lingos when you need him. That seems like the way they're going to, I mean, Luis Oviedo's on the IL, so I don't know. It just seems like that's going to be the way they have to go from here on out. Yeah, that's it's definitely going to be tough. Um, you know, the, the, the first three guys you mentioned, like those are guys that are going to give you quality starts a lot of the time, but uh, Ponticelli started in the bullpen. I think he had been demoted from Columbus, if I'm not mistaken. And then Arias is a guy who's just kind of a, you know, he'll, he'll give teams a start when they need it between single A, triple A, you know, not really prospect status. So, yeah, hopefully they have enough to, to fill in. There's nobody else coming from Lake County. There's no starters they can afford to push up for the most part, unless Lake County doesn't make the playoffs. But Lake County is pretty close to the playoffs themselves. So I think a little bit closer than, um, accurate at this point, but there's a good chance neither of them make it, so I guess we'll find out. Um, I have no idea who's going to replace Rodriguez in Lake County. To me, the only obvious name was Jorge Burgos, but he doesn't really... Nothing jumps off the page about him. He's had a solid, but unspectacular season. Um, yeah, I really don't know who's going to replace him. Petey Halpin has been on fire lately. Uh, Will Cunningham talked to him after his big game yesterday. He had three home runs in this homestand. Had a huge day Sunday as well. Um, super impressed with him and, and Angel Martinez because those guys are both 20-year-olds who are getting better as the season goes on. Petey Halpin, this is his first full season in the, in the pros. Um, I keep hearing from guys, and Mike Capri said this too, is that the biggest thing is, is you know, training your body to play every day. You know, there's, there's a lot of games in minor league baseball. The travel, you're at the field 10 hours a day. You know, in college, you show up to, you know, the field a couple hours before and you play and that's it and you go about your day baseball you know you're there 10 hours and you've got to do it again the next day or you might have a day game the next day so he said preparing his body to play every day has been the biggest adjustment and that's coming from a college player i would say for from a high school standpoint probably even harder so um that pd halpin has been able to get himself into position to be good at the end of the year versus wear down as a 20 year old in high a for his first full year in pro ball super impressive and um, Angel Martinez doing the same thing. He really struggled down the stretch last year in Lynchburg, and he has been better this year. So two guys that you really feel good about if they're able to have strong ends to the season um, based on their age. Cody Morris continues to look good in Columbus. Um, we're trying to, still trying to get clarification. I have no idea what's going on with the roster rules. It sounds like now Andrew Kinsman mess- messaged me and said that um, – uh, Morris's rehab assignment restarted on August 3rd. So it started July 12th and it sounds like it was paused for a couple of days and then restarted August 3rd. So now it's looking like maybe September 3rd is the day he's got to come off the 60. So, um, but I still expect to see him in September as an extra bullpen arm, uh, in Cleveland. That'll be a lot of fun. And then I want to mention junior sand Quentin had three home runs last week in Lynchburg, uh, big first baseman, his, his uh, MILB page says he is six foot tall, 172 pounds. If you watch any video of Junior San Quentin or you see a picture of him from his time in Lynchburg this year, that is not a six foot, 172 pound kid. That is a large man. He has grown a lot since then. So they need to update his MILB page, but he's hit for a ton of power this year. So um, we'll see what he can do. It's a really all nothing approach. John, what do you think? Who, who's going to be the next debut in Cleveland? Savion Curry's out here pitching right now. He uh, just allowed a single 
and unfortunately walked the batter. So he's got two on as we're doing this. But um, who do you think is the next major league debut? He's 14 right now. Who, who, who's your next bet? That's a good question. Um, you know, I'm I'm very I've been promoting a lot of uh, Will Brennan propaganda as well um, this 2022 season, uh, but I think he'd be a great candidate. Um, he's had a great year, and uh, he started out a little old for his level, and now he, I'm sure he's on par with with AAA for the most part. Um, but I'd like to see him play at some point in the season. I don't really know how he factors into the team long term. Um, you know, with Straw having center lockdown, looks like Quan has left field lockdown, and I guess that leaves right field as sort of the the area with moving parts with Gonzalez, Benson, um, Nolan Jones. But yeah, I guess I guess Brennan would be who I would go with. Um, and as far as pitchers, I'm surprised that Battenfield didn't get in the game at all in that blowout against the Blue Jays. Yeah, I, I'm surprised he didn't get in either. I thought he had a chance to get in, and I think it's a, it's very telling that um, they could have gone with Peyton Battenfield that Friday against the Astros. He was on on enough rest to pitch in that game. They decided to go with Gaddis, and then they could have easily gone with Battenfield over the weekend out of the bullpen. They decided not to go there, and then they decided today to go with Xavier Curry instead of um, Peyton Battenfield. He would have been arrested enough to go today, so – I think that's a very telling thing. Um, I would say that's the pecking order. I'm not sure what'll happen to Battenfield now, but I do think that that is, uh, you know, kind of. If you read between the lines, they're kind of showing their plan with that. I would say so. Right. I don't. I don't know about Battenfield. My, I would like to see Will Brennan as well. I don't know where the playing time comes from with you. I would. All right. So they had to. They DFA Jake Jewell today to add Curry to the roster. So they're still at forty. Um. Morris has to come back at some point, whether that's July or September 3rd or whenever that ends up happening. He's going to come off the 60 at some point. Um, Kirk McCarty is still in the 40, and so is um, Anthony Castro. One of those two guys will be the move for Morris to come back off the 60. That leaves one of those two as maybe the last spot in the roster that's kind of fungible that maybe they can slip Bo Naylor onto. I don't know. That's my pick. I think Bo Naylor needs a September call-up. I think that they should uh, find a way to get him up there and, and work with Hedges and um, just get his feet wet in September in a playoff race with all of his teammates and behind a catcher that clearly the team respects and, and has good defensive numbers. I think there's one spot left on that roster they can play with that can get Bo Naylor on. So that's my pick for the next debut. I think that makes the most sense. Even if he doesn't play a ton, at least he – experience on the bench, I think will go a long way. I mean, they are, I mean, I'd like to see Will Brennan too, but they're having a hard enough time getting Will Benson in the lineup with any regularity at this point. So um, yeah, yeah, my, my bet's Bo Naylor. Yeah, no, Bo Naylor is a great take too. Um, I just don't have a ton of confidence that they'll give him a, a debut this year because they were super slow with him, um, giving him a year and a half in, in double A. So it's hard to see him, at least making like any type of permanent transition to the majors this quick. Um, but yeah, it's possible he could get a couple looks um, in September and probably depend on where they are in the playoff race too. Yeah. I think it'd be super valuable to have him up there and be a part of all that. So um, even if he doesn't play, I think there's still something to be gained by him being on the roster in the future for him and the team. So that's my pick. I'm sticking to it. Um, 
Got one question this week from let me go back and find it here. Azuri Azuma Films. Um 2023 August Dream lineup and starting five. Well, this is a complicated question. Um, <laughs> let's go with the pitching rotation. John, who do you think is the starting five pitchers this time next year in Cleveland? Oh, boy. Got to think about this one a little bit. So I pencil in. I think I think the Guardians will be in full win-now mode next year. I think Bieber will still be on the team. Um, I know people are bringing up potential – um, you know, trading for him when that extension didn't happen. Um, so I'd go with Bieber, McKenzie. And then I think either Quantrill or Plesak. I might lean Quantrill there. And I want to say... Hmm. I mean, I like Logan. This is... Yeah, this like, is next no, August, not start the year. It's next August, so a full yeah. a full year away. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I think I think Logan Allen could be could be there by next August. Um, I know he's had some trouble in in AAA, but he was definitely the best pitcher. Um, like who was healthy because obviously Espino was lights out before he got hurt. But Allen was really impressive in uh, Akron, striking a ton of guys out. So. You got Ellie Bieber, Smith. Quantrill, or Plesak, and McKenzie and Allen. So that leaves yeah. Aaron Savali as the man out of the mix. I'm with you there. I think I think one of I think one of Savali or Plesak isn't here next August for sure. Um, I mean, Savali I can see them. shot too. I mean, he looked really good today, and he did. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I just I think that one of them is going to be traded just because they got to make room for some of these future starters and. Um, if, if we're talking like the guys I really wish could fill the rotation out next, next August, I would say, I hope, I hope it could be um, Bieber, McKenzie, um, Cody Morris, Logan Allen. And I don't know. I would like to see Tanner Bybee or Daniel Espino take that fifth spot next year, but I don't think that's realistic for those two. I assume my hope would be, but I think you could fill out the last spot out with, with either Gaddis or Curry um, next season if you go that route. But I would like to see Morris and, and Logan Allen behind McKenzie and Bieber. I think that would be really good. Because I still, even though I think Morris is going to wind up in the bullpen, if he could just find a way to stay healthy, he could still be a really good starter. So that would be my, my dream rotation, I think, that for the best, most upside for next August. And then you still have to factor in Bybee William, and, and Williams, obviously, and Espino if we don't think they're going to be quite there. But those guys will be pushing too. Um, the lineup, that's a tougher question. I don't know. I'm, I would say Naylor, Naylor catcher for sure next August. Na- uh, and Naylor at first. So the Naylor brothers on the infield there. Um, second base. Yeah, I would say second base. I don't know. I would. I, the way things are going, I think you stick with Jimenez and Rosario. I know it's hard. It's unbelievable to say, but how do you move away from that? The way things are going. Yeah, it is hard to move away with that, um, especially because we probably are looking at a, a big win now situation next year. Um, and, I, and I think there's guys, I think both Rokio and Arias have the potential to be um, more valuable than Rosario, but is that going to happen in their first year or their first full year? And for Rokio, it would probably be like if he 
plays at all for them next year would probably be more towards the second half. So, yeah, if, if you're trying to go out and win a World Series next year, then that's get to stick with. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, third base Ramirez, and then um, outfield. I don't know. You still have Quan in left, and I guess. I don't know. I'm going to say Will Brennan in center. I know it's probably not realistic to think they're going to give up a mild straw and they select defense. I'm a little concerned about the fact he's not walking and stealing bases, although he just stole a base today for the first time since July 4th. But um, I don't think they'll give up on him that soon. But if we're talking like dream scenario here, I would say Quan and left, Brennan in center. And then, I don't know, somebody between Jones, Benson, and Gonzalez and Valera and right, right? Yeah. One of those guys can DH. Yeah, that is a good point. I think Valera could actually make a good DH in that scenario. Yeah, that would be good. I think you can you can move any any of those guys can play right field on any given day because they all have good arms. Benson and Gonzalez and Jones all possess great arms, and um, so does Will Brennan too, for that fact. And and Valera's arms fine too, but yeah, I think he could fit well in a DH as well. I don't know there's a lot of ways to go. It, it's funny that a year ago their outfield was so bad, and two years ago the outfield was so bad, and now it's like. You know, Will Brennan's not going to be up, or if we don't know if he's going to be up, they can barely play Will Benson, and Valera's right there. It's like, it's unbelievable they have so many options to choose from. So, uh, but it does seem like most of the core is in place as we went through that exercise. I mean, we didn't really have a lot of turnover except for the rotation, which I think we were looking more at upside than we were um, being stable. So, right. a lot of core is in place. It, do, it does feel like if you, if you think about it that way, which is really exciting. So one thing I do worry about, um, or I guess I'm just like curious to see how it goes, but um, Josh Naylor playing in the field and we've seen him have problems with injuries and, you know, back spasms. He just doesn't look fully healthy this year. And I'm wondering if that's just a direct product of like him getting over his injury from last year, or if these problems are going to just continue to come up. Because in that scenario, then you can't really have him play first base every day. And then you want somebody that's better at first base than Miller backing him up, like at the defensive position. Yeah, that is, that is the hard part. I think uh, I think Miller is good as a, like you said, a backup where he can play some second. I don't, I don't know if necessarily first base is the best way to go with that, but yeah, if Naylor is going to DH because of the leg, you for sure need to find somebody else to play at first base. And yet, I don't know if Naylor is that guy, or I don't know if Owen Miller is that guy. He definitely seems like a good bench piece, but I definitely think they might need more of a, a right-handed complement over there and, and somebody you feel better about spelling it with. So maybe that's Will Benson because he got time at first base in Columbus. Um, other than that, I don't know who it could be. I mean, Mike Capriz is, is left-handed, and I guess you don't necessarily need a left-hander or right-hander there, but it would be nice to have one. And it'd be great if it was John Kenzie Noel, but as we talked about earlier, we're not, you know, totally sure about the the ability to lay off breaking pitches and hit those. So that's a work in progress for him as well. So right. that is all the questions we had this week. Uh, John, it's been a great year. Thanks for all your coverage in Akron. Anything else you want to uh, toss in or, or say at this point? I mean, uh, appreciate having you this year. You did a great job and um, got a good future ahead of you, I feel like. Yeah, I appreciate being on and I appreciate, you know, having the opportunity to cover some double A baseball this year and 
I know that my own knowledge of not just Guardians prospects, but baseball in general has increased a lot. And so I feel like I'm in a really good position to, you know, pr keep on trying to pursue uh, baseball writing and things like that. So um, I definitely feel like I made the most out of this summer and couldn't have done it without Guardians Baseball Insider. Yeah, I would like to have any. I'm, I'm sure everybody like to read your stuff every day. The reports are always good and um, just always being able to ask questions of Odor. Every, every, you guys were on top of things, whether it was a Spino or any other injury or just other guys in the roster. I felt like you guys were asking good questions every night too. So um, definitely great to have you this year. Um, you can follow John on Twitter at John Elrod underscore 19. Um, you can read what you're going to be back in school and working at the paper again this year as well. Um, I'm actually going abroad for my fall semester. Uh, oh, that's right. Denmark. Yeah. When do you when do you leave for that? Friday. This Friday. Wow. Okay. Yep. Well, that's super exciting. I hope you enjoy it. Hope everything goes well and uh, you get a lot out of that. Yeah, I appreciate that. I'm looking forward to it. Definitely going to be a bit of a change of scenery from Northeast <laughs> Ohio, but just a I've little. Lived here my whole life, so I think it'll be nice to have a few months off and. Yeah, something different to. Uh to see something different for your life and get a lot of new perspective, I'm sure. All right. Well, thanks again, John. I appreciate it. Thanks for everybody for listening and uh, we'll catch you again next week and uh, we'll see how the rest of this plays out with Avion Curry and down the stretch. Mm -hmm.